Welcome back to another edition of McKay's Class with Sass podcast. All right, everybody, today we are going to be looking at the amazing brain. This should be section 3-3, and you should have the notes. Um, that way you can take them for this lecture. So today we're going to talk about all about how the brain is amazing and all of the different parts and all of the different lobes. And so hopefully somehow I can... Uh, figure out exactly how to make you understand these things and remember them for your test. So, without further ado, away we go. So slide one should be titled The Amazing Brain. Well, we've already talked a little bit about that, but as we go through this, I want you to think about literally how amazing the brain is because it is essentially the reason that we can be who we are whether it's from the physical standpoint um, and the biological standpoint or from our personalities and, and what makes us who we are. Next slide. So when we talk about the human brain, it is the most complex organ in our body. Um, we still don't even know all of the capabilities that it has. Uh, when we look at it, brain behavior connections are extremely complex. How does the brain influence all of the actions that we take and the decision making that we, that we have in our lives? So unfortunately for you guys, one of the lobes is still developing, which is why teenagers make such awful decisions, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, main components are the cerebral hemispheres. There are two of them, okay? And we will start there. Next slide. When we talk about the hemispheres, um, we have left and right brain, and, and most of the time you'll hear that um, discussed with people, especially people that don't know what they're talking about, um, because they'll call you either left-brained or right-brained, and that is just definitely not true. Um, we'll get to that in a moment and why people do refer to people as left or right-brained. But either way, the thing to remember is that you are not left or right-brained, you are whole-brained. Um, each hemisphere is similar to, but not mirror images of each other. So when we, um, next semester when the, the University of Utah comes out with the real brains, you'll see this, that they are very similar, um, but one side may be bigger. Some different lobes may be a little bit slightly larger than the others. The thing to remember here is that the left hemisphere controls the right and the right controls the left. Confusing, I know. So when you want to raise your right hand, your right hand is controlled by your left hemisphere. Your left hand is controlled by your right hemisphere. Hopefully we haven't confused you too much yet, but we'll get there, don't worry. Next slide, please. The reason we know about the activities of the two hemispheres is due to studies in lateralization. So when we talk about lateralization, what we're referring to is just the division of labor or the division of abilities amongst the hemispheres. Each hemisphere is responsible for very specific things. So they have different functions. Um, we use both hemispheres, but it allows us to have access to both of the sides' dominant capabilities. So when we talk about somebody that is like a scientist, right? People say that um, scientists are right-brained, or sorry, are left-brained people, right-brained, what's wrong with me? Um, are left-brained people because the left is very logical. Um, but that doesn't mean that a scientist doesn't use creative um, thought and creative analysis. They have to use both sides. And so hopefully by talking about um, our next little segment here, 
you'll understand exactly why people deem scientists as left-brained and then be able to argue with somebody about why being left-brained is not a thing. Tell them to get, get it together and do their studying on psychology and they would understand that a scientist does in fact use both hemispheres. Next slide. So here we have it, everybody. A tale of two hemispheres. Next slide. So when we're looking at this, and you will have to click through in a little bit here um, to see the very fabulous photo I've added to this, but the left hemisphere, it is very logical. So remember it as left is logical. It is involved with reading, listening, speaking, writing, math, logic, and analysis. All those good old fashioned school subjects we like to talk about all the time. If you're anything like me and uh, math is not your strong suit, you can blame your left hemisphere. Get it together, left hemisphere. On the right side, it is far more creative, um, but it plays a role in specific things and, and maybe this will help you to understand how it uses both hemispheres. It is in charge of facial recognition, emotions, patterns, and, and, and seeing patterns. Inference, meaning, um, you guys did this when you were in Psych 1, inferring something is, is kind of deducing an idea out of what you're presented with. Um, mental rotation of objects, musical sounds, and rhythms. So dancers of our class, you can thank your right hemisphere for all that you do. Go ahead, say thank you to it. Come on, thank you right hemisphere, yay. Okay, and if you click through, you'll see the beautiful picture I have here that hopefully will help you to remember it. The left is logical, so think like mathematical stuff. The right is colorful. Okay, so colorful, creative. Left, logic. Sound good? All right, great. Let's move on. So let's start talking about another very important factor between the two hemispheres. Um, and it is the corpus callosum. Without the corpus callosum, and we'll, we will talk about more about split brain patients and all of that on our next lecture, but the corpus callosum is just Latin for tough body. It is a bundle of nerve fibers that connect the two hemispheres. And if you've been in my class before, you'll know that um, when, when I look at it, what I see is an upside down Nike sign. Maybe that's because I'm obsessed with Nike and I can't stop buying their products, but they got me. Dang it, Nike, take all my money. But it does essentially move messages from one hemisphere to the other. So without that corpus callosum, it's almost like you have two little mini brains that wanna act on their own. The corpus callosum allows one side of the brain to communicate what it needs from the other and vice versa. Next slide. The cerebral cortex, which is everything that you see on the brain, like when you think of what a brain looks like, um, all of the physical characteristics of the brain. So it's the outer layer of the brain. It is sometimes referred to as the cerebrum. So don't get confused if you see cerebrum or cerebral cortex on something. Um, all of that folded tissue that we see and what we think of as the brain um, are known as two things, sulci, which means peaks, and don't quote me on this, but I believe it is pronounced gyri, which is valleys, okay? Gyri, not like Kyrie Irving, okay, but gyri, valleys. So all of the cerebral cortex is made up of all of the lobes we have. And how many lobes do we have, everybody? If you just said four, you've never paid attention to me in your life, but that's okay. I'll get over it. There are four types of lobes, but there are technically eight lobes. So 
Let us meet the super lobes. The first lobe we're going to talk about is very important. This is what we were talking about with you, with you as teenagers. You guys are not fully developed on the frontal lobe um, manner, which is why you make awful decisions like lying to your parents or missing curfew or trying to date the wrong person and then later on you don't know why. Am I just talking about myself? Maybe. I don't know. If anyone can relate, hopefully you can. The frontal lobe, though, is command central. So I've tried to relate all of these two superheroes to make it a little easier for you guys. So frontal lobe, command central. Um, it is like Captain America. And I mean, I know we argue that who the real leader of the Avengers is, but people, the real leader of the Avengers is not Iron Man. It is Captain America. So he is command central for the Avengers. So it's in charge of decision-making, problem-solving, reasoning, motivation, personality, language, and time travel. Oh, I'm sorry, just Captain America on that. <laughs> okay, corny joke, you guys, it's fine. Um, what we talk about with the command center is that it's executive functioning. It makes the main decisions for what's gonna go on in our lives. This part of the brain is what makes us differ from animals. Animals have a, a, a far less um, productive frontal lobe. Ours is amazing, ours is very complex. Animals have very simplistic frontal lobes. They don't have this type of functioning. Also located in the frontal lobe is the motor cortex. This is in charge of all of our voluntary movements, right? Your ability to walk, um, raise your hands, anything that has to do with large voluntary muscles. Go ahead and turn so we can talk about the frontal lobe and some of the pieces of the puzzle there. The first part I wanna talk about is Broca's area. This is on the left side of the frontal lobe. It is completely responsible for language capability. So if that was damaged, you would have a really hard time being able to say words anymore. It would come out sounding like a, a whole bunch of rubbish. Um, and you know, it, it's just, it, it won't allow you to talk. Sorry, I should, I should go back. It's not gonna sound like a bunch of rubbish. You're just gonna lose that capability. I'm getting two of my parts mixed up, but who's, who's counting? Um, the next, piece of the puzzle is the motor cortex, which I was just uh, very briefly talking about, but it's in charge of all voluntary movements. As you can see from the picture, it is almost where the frontal and the parietal lobes meet. Okay, it's right at the back of the frontal lobe. And for example, like we talked about legs, arms, jumping, anything that is voluntary muscles. Then we have the prefrontal cortex, the very front, right behind your forehead. This is the part for you guys that is not fully developed yet. It is in charge of planning and personality. That's why we say like as a teenager, you do make bad decisions. You're not great at it yet. We're trying to teach you these skills. You don't know. Your personality may shift from who you are as a teenager to who are you as a 25-year-old. Um, Lord knows mine did. Next page. The parietal lobes. As we meet the parietal lobes, I want you to think of the X-Men character Rogue. If you don't know much about Rogue, she has this unique ability that the minute she touches somebody, she can absorb their powers. So I want you to think of Rogue, whose superpower is touching people and absorbing their powers. And what that will leave us with is that the parietal lobe is in charge of processing all of the touch sensations. So pressure, like touch pressure, pain, and temperature sensations. The somatosensory cortex sits right behind the motor cortex, so right where the frontal and the parietal lobes meet, okay? This is the area that receives these signals and alerts the rest of the brain. Next page. 
I hope you guys like this background. He's one of my favorite Avenger characters after watching the movies. Um, I chose him because his name is Vision. <laughs> so hopefully you can remember this backdrop and remember that the occipital lobes are Vision, okay? The visual association cortex is also located in the occipital lobes. So don't think of the occipital lobes as just our ability to see. It also allows us to help, help, help us to recognize different lines or shapes or shadow or movement, which we, we don't really think about all the time, but imagine if you didn't have that capability um, and what your vision would actually look like. Next, we have the temporal lobes. And the superhero I have here associated is Daredevil. Uh, those of you who have seen Daredevil know all about his, his amazing abilities. Um, but if you have not seen it, then you don't know that he is in fact blind. So because he is blind, it has enhanced all of his other senses, specifically hearing. So the temporal lobes are like Daredevil in the sense that they process auditory information. The right temporal lobe is in charge of melody and tonal changes, okay? So it may be your ability to hear music, emotional tone of voice, you know, like when your parents get mad at you and all of a sudden their tone changes and you know dang well that that tone means there's a chancla coming. Oh, just me again? Okay. The left temporal lobe is the Wernicke's area. Um, that is in charge of language comprehension. And so a couple slides ago when I totally screwed up Broca's area, I was confusing it with Wernicke's. So in the temporal lobe, left side is the Wernicke's area, which means that you would still have the capability to speak, but you cannot comprehend anything and what would come out of your mouth would not make any sense. It would be like something like, well, the cat in the hat jumped into the pool and two plus two is seven. Okay. Or it could also be like what we all, well, at least me, what I see when I see a problem, a problem solving math problem. Okay. The lower areas of the lobes, it's very interesting, kind of do, do some of the visual processing with regards to patterns, okay? And if those areas are damaged, you would experience what's called agnosia. Um, and what that is, it's actually quite scary. Familiar objects would become unrecognizable. So quite a scary thought. Now let's get to the parts of the brain. The old brain. Next slide. So there are three parts specifically that I want to talk about with the old brain, okay? We call it the old brain because it's the oldest structures of the brain that we know of. So the brain stem is specifically the oldest structure and it is most vital to functioning life. If that brain stem is gone, adios. Medulla oblongata, also known as just the medulla, um, it is in charge of maintaining your heart rate, your breathing, digestion, and swallowing. I want you to think of medulla like Thanos. Thanos wants to take all human life and start all over. So the medulla is in charge of human life. Okay. If it helps you, maybe think of the medulla like one of the stones for his amazing glove. Anyways, the pons is a mass of nerve fibers that serves as relay stations, kind of similar to the thalamus, but I don't want you to think about it in that sense. It serves as a relay station specifically between the other parts of the brain and, and the cerebellum. Okay. Next slide. All right. As you'll see on this slide, um, it coincides with your notes. And on your notes, you will see that you have some parts of the brain that need to be filled in. OK, 
okay? Um, and you know what I totally forgot to tell you to do earlier on your notes is that on each of the lobes, um, I want you to color them in a different color. So maybe you can go back and do that later, but color each one in a different color on the little um, depictions of the brains that I have. So that way you know exactly where they're located. And those should coincide with the pictures I have on here. So on this one, um, we have a depiction of the brain stem on the left side and the location of it with regards to the whole brain. So starting from the top, you're gonna put in those blanks, thalamus, and I know they're really small, so don't yell at me, you guys. You can draw a line off of them, um, you sassy teenagers. The midbrain is the second one down. Okay, the cranial nerves do have a blank spot, but don't worry about that. Um, that's just the part that's gonna be far more advanced, like if you were gonna go into neurology. Okay, below the midbrain would be the pons, and then the medulla, and then the spinal cord. So make sure you fill those in. And then head to the next page. The reticular formation is another, it's technically part of the old brain, um, but it's not the, the very important pieces that I wanted to talk about. However, the reticular formation does have very important function for us. So it's a network of nerves that runs up the brain stem, as you can see in the picture, and it carries messages between parts of the brain stem. Now, think of it like the, um, the tracks for the brain stem, okay? Like a subway. It also helps regulate consciousness. So the sleep-wake cycle um, due to the reticular activating system, or RAS, um, and it helps us to focus on certain stimuli while filtering others out. So I told you to think of the reticular formation like a tracks station or like the tracks or subway. So when it regulates consciousness, yes, it is sleep-wake, but it's also things like this example. You're waiting for the tracks, and all of a sudden you have the ability to hear this little baby crying very clearly, right? but you filter out the sound of the train on the tracks, if that makes any sense. Let me know again if you have any questions and also make sure you add the RF, the reticular formation, onto your diagram. Then head to the next slide. The cerebellum, one of my favorite pieces of the brain. I'm not joking, I have a favorite piece of the brain and it might be the cerebellum, okay. Um, maybe it's just because of who I get to relate it to, but that's besides the point. So the little brain is what the cerebellum is known as. It's in charge of fine motor control and coordination, posture and balance. So what I mean by posture is not having good posture like your grandma always wants you to have, but the ability to stand tall with posture, okay? It also has some cognitive skills with learning. I want you to think of it as Black Panther because his motor control and his coordination are ridiculous, so his cerebellum works very well. Next slide. Next, we have the limbic system. Um, and the limbic system is going to consist of four different brain parts. The first one is the thalamus. Think of it as the sensory relay station because every single sensory stimuli that comes into your brain goes through the thalamus except for smell. And we'll get to that later. It sends the info to the correct locations for processing. So if you see something, that visual information comes through the thalamus and then the thalamus, thalamus thinks to itself, oh my, with my amazing spidey senses, I'm gonna send that to the occipital lobes. Okay, so think of the thalamus like Spider-Man with his spidey senses, okay? Hypothalamus is in charge of the release of hormones. It's located directly under the thalamus, hence the name hypothalamus, that just means below. So it regulates the autonomic nervous system. And there are two parts to remember with this. The first one is the lateral hypothalamus. It makes us hungry. So let's think about it like this. To remember lateral and its function, we remember the phrase, let's eat. 
okay? Lateral, let's eat. It makes us hungry, okay? The ventromedial hypothalamus, the VH, regulates fullness. It tells us when we've eaten enough. So ventromedial is very full, okay? Hopefully that is helpful. Let's move on to that next slide. The other two parts of the lovely limbic system are the hippocampus, which we've talked about previously. It just means seahorse in Latin. It is in charge of short-term memory or turning info into long-term memories. Um, as we've talked about previously in our very first unit, if there is damage to the hippocampus, somebody will suffer from anterograde amnesia and lose the capability to make any new memories. The amygdala is for processing emotion and survival response, okay? Um, it is Latin for almond. It is very specific to fear and anger. So I want you to think of the Hulk because he gets very angry. Next slide is gonna be a depiction of the entire brain um, and a bunch, of <laughs> a bunch of parts you do need and a bunch of parts that you really don't need. Um, but I thought you should have it nonetheless because it's a really good depiction of where all of these parts of the limbic system are. Um, if you look down towards the bottom right of it, you will find the hippocampus, amygdala, uh, hypothalamus, thalamus, Okay, and within the hypothalamus, you have two um, areas, and those are for let's eat and very full, so lateral and ventromedial. Next slide when you're ready. There it is, the amazing brain. And what I do want you to do with this is I do want you, as a, just a test to yourself, to outline the four types of lobes and where they would be and the cerebellum. So go ahead and do that in the meantime and we'll get to our last slides here. Okay, so you can either do that right now and pause our podcast, or you can do it at the end, whichever works best for you. So next slide is gonna talk about studying the brain. Well, we know all of these brain parts, but the question is how do we know them and how has technology advanced for us to understand exactly what each part of the brain does, which is pretty cool, unless I'm just the biggest nerd in the world. But as you'll see on the next slide, the study of the brain and biological influences on behavior is known as neuroscience. It is the research field of psychology. Right now, their major research is with Alzheimer's, um, as well as ALS, which is, has really come to the forefront. But if this is something that interests you, A, it's really cool because you get to discover a bunch of stuff and maybe come up with cures. And B, you'll make a ton of money. You're welcome. So we're going to go through the brain scanning, which is on the next slide here. Um, with brain scramming, scanning, scramming, wow, I was going to say brain scamming. Maybe I can scam you guys out of your brains. Well, I guess we'll see. So with brain scanning, it is very important to understand that it's not used to treat disorders directly, but in order to provide information about the structure and activity of the brain. We can't tell much about disorders necessarily from these studies, we can have an indication and then have further testing done to find out if somebody is perhaps schizophrenic, okay? As you'll see, you guys have a chart here, okay, on your notes. Um, and on those notes, I want you to take down all of these, and on the third box, you're going to kind of sketch an example of what you would see. Now, those are going to come up after this, and I'll explain what each one is so that you can make sure that you understand what goes with what, but they will go with order in the pictures. But for right now, let's talk about the name of the scan and what activity it observes. So the first one is the EEG or the electroencephalograph, okay? 
What it observes is it measures the electrical activity in the brain. They may use this to make sure that somebody is not brain dead um, or to see what areas of the brain are not functioning, okay? With the CT scan, that is called a computer tomography scan. It was formerly called the CAT scan. It observes and makes two-dimensional x-rays of the brain, okay, so that we can actually see parts of the brain. It takes all these thousands of little x-rays and puts them together to give us a two-dimensional hemisphere look of the brain, okay? The, it can, it's really great for, for looking at brain damage or blood flow. The MRI, which probably many of you have had, whether it's been on your brain or on your knee or on your arm or on your stomach, okay, really awesome. It's magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, we all know that that big machine really sucks to lay in because it's so dang loud. But what it's trying to observe is it's trying to observe all the soft tissues of the brain and the actual physical structure of it. It's really cool. This is what you see on Gray's Anatomy. They can show everything in three dimensions. They can rotate it around. It is fantastic for being able to locate the precise area in which a tumor is. It's also great to see aneurysms for them and brain bleeds. Okay, so it's probably one of the most important, actually it's probably the most important scan of technology that we've, we've come about. Um, the functional MRI is very similar. And when you see it, it looks just like an MRI, but it'll have color to it. It's pretty cool. It also monitors blood flow and oxygen metabolism. And it can also have the capability to see or, sorry, activation areas. Um, and these activation areas can be seen in a matter of seconds. So almost live time. And finally, the positron emission tomography, which is the PET scan, okay? I want you to think of it like this. It looks like a CAT scan, but it's in color. So it's way cooler because it includes all of the pets. Uh, what this looks at is the amount of energy used during activities. So this would be like when you see somebody that they want to find out where music is located in the brain. They may have somebody playing a guitar while they do this scan on them to see exactly where that amount of energy is, is focused. Pretty cool, I know. So let's go through the pictures of these so you can draw them on there. Okay, on the next slide, you'll see the EEG on the left, and it kind of looks like a seismograph, like, a, like an earthquake seismograph, okay? That's all it does. So I mean, really, we don't want to have an EEG done if we are looking for a tumor because it can't tell us anything about that, right? And we don't wanna just go poking around the brain. On the right side, you have a CAT scan. So this is the one, thousands of tiny little x-rays to produce a two-dimensional uh, two hemisphere view of the brain, okay? But you can see why it would be good for any brain damage or lesions, okay? On the next slide, on the far left, is the MRI. And this is a really cool depiction of it because you can see on the um, left side of it, you can actually see the cerebellum, you can see the brain stem, you can see the pons, you can see the hippocampus, you can see the corpus callosum. I could keep going on and on and on because I'm such a nerd. It's fine. Okay, I also think that guy might have a booger in his nose, but who's, who's keeping track? Um, on the top right is an fMRI. So same similar structure, but with color because it can show us activation areas. And on the very bottom right, we have the wonderful PET scan. Okay, looks like a CAT scan in the hemisphere version, but totally filled with activation. And that's due to glucose. So both the fMRI and the PET scan both use a glucose serum that the person would drink and then um, the sugar is processed in the brain so it allows it to act, to travel into the brain and then show up on activation scans. Scans? God, I can't talk today, you guys. It's because it's a weekend. Scans. Um, and guess what, everybody? 
that's all we have today for our wonderful podcast. I hope you've enjoyed episode two. And we were talking about a little catchphrase, and I think I figured it out, you guys. So I will see you next time for episode three on split brain patients. In the meantime, I'll keep it sassy and classy while you be true and be you.